So now you have all these acquisitions going on, Microsoft most notably. How does that change the market? Games communication, I think Twitter is still the biggest. Mm -hmm. And besides that, it heavily depends on the project. Side quest accepted. When I think of people who look at reviews for games, right, people look at critic reviews, they always kind of take it with a grain of salt. And then you also have player reviews, which I think people ignore a lot of the times as well, because they feel like games are either being bombed or they're not being genuine or the biggest critics are the only ones who are going to kind of tune into that conversation. So do people care about reviews? And if they do, kind of what do you think they more give credence to when they're looking at them? So from my point of perspective, there was an interesting change in the industry in the last years. Uh, if you look back like I think 10 years most of the critic reviews were what people actually based their impressions of games on when it came to games they have never played themselves uh, especially when the shift started happening from print media to online media the print media was like still opinion king and right now if I look at the recent game launches I see that people are very hype about review scores mm -hmm. they love the scores they love to judge game by a number they most likely don't really dive into where the number comes from like what does a seven mean is a seven a seven based on the game itself is a seven based on the game in its genre compared to other uh, games of the genre mm -hmm. so um i think like the whole discord shifted a bit towards checking out the number and then they most likely get their impressions from like live streams or um, content creators on YouTube and Twitch. I feel like what the critics actually say about the game doesn't count as much anymore as the number they gave, give out. For indie developers, I think the early stage of development is the most important part. It's evolved so much over the last couple of years and there's so much market saturation and there's so many games out there nowadays. So with the early stage of development kind of being the most important part for you guys specifically, when you look at that, how do you approach it? How do you plan? for it. A piece of advice for indie game, uh, indie developers I have, or the first thing I look at when we get a pitch from an indie developer mm -hmm. is that I check the market. Mm. Like I check what genre the game is set in, if it's a popular genre, and what are roughly the numbers of sales that are to be expected. Mm -hmm. And from then on, I check what the audience expects of a game. Like mm -hmm. what are key features inside that genre that people just expect to be there yeah. and what are the priorities of things they want to want to experience when it comes to creating games like in general the number one thing we look for is passion we have some projects that are mainly driven by just one person but uh, it's all about one person being able to translate their own passion into the creation of the game because this passion hopefully means that they are not only passionate about the game they are making, they are passionate about the genre they are making the game in as well, and then they're just like natural experts. Yeah, you know, for Deck 13, you guys do publishing as well. How has that part of the industry changed over the last couple of years? Because there are so many indie games nowadays. I mean, there's, I think it's 30 plus are releasing on Steam daily. Yeah. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of devs like all over the world that are pushing their games out, whether they're solo, whether there's a couple people on the team, whether there's like 15. It's a massive, massive part of the industry right now. So I would imagine from a publishing standpoint, or even from, you know, where you're, you guys are at with Atlas Fallen, how does that impact what you do on the publishing side and what you do on the development side of things? The only thing you could do is make sure that you cover your base. If you release a game and you have the option to release it on multiple platforms, or you at least think about releasing it on multiple platforms, the best idea you can have is that you simultaneously release it on all platforms. The time your game releases is the time where the most eyes will be on in terms of storefront visibility, in terms of like coverage from uh, different outlets, news outlets, never ever can your wishlist number be high enough. Make sure that you push it as crazy as possible. And also, there's not a bad time 
to start with marketing. I've spoken to lots of teams that were like, ah, yeah, we're just trying to like finish this part of the game. And then yeah. we will start to post on Twitter about it. You can show the entire process on Twitter. Like, yeah. don't limit yourself because you think you need to reach a certain quality before showing anything. You can never start early enough with marketing, surely. For you, what is your viewpoint on kind of social media and how to maneuver it from a marketing standpoint? So when it comes to X uh, uh, specifically, mm -hmm. I think the case is right that there are mostly developers talking to developers, mm -hmm. but there are also streamers checking out what's happening. And these are your aggregators you're looking for if you can get them interested. Mm -hmm. uh, if the, the content creator interacts with your posts, then obviously it might be shared with the magical algorithm gods of X. Maybe it might be shared to their following, right? Yep, yep. So that's, of course, a key, uh, key demographic to be uh, targeted. So I think mm -hmm. there's a, a lot of value to be found then for like games communication. I think Twitter is still the biggest. Mm -hmm. And besides that, it heavily depends on the project. Like there's no blueprint for um, perfect social media strategy. What I've seen is that these new things like TikTok or mm -hmm. YouTube Shorts, yeah. they can have an insane power to push your uh, stuff to people that have never heard of you before. Mm -hmm. These algorithms, absolutely magical, mm -hmm. no idea how they work, but I yeah. uploaded a TikTok clip and that got like 350,000 views without any indication there's nothing I can pinpoint that is mm -hmm. different from all the other stuff I posted there. Yep. But sometimes the gods just let you ascend to have it quickly <laughs> for a second. Yep. You can get a good taste of what it's like to be popular. Mm -hmm. And this might just be the push um, for your game to actually find an audience. I've heard some developers say to me that they love using TikTok. But the problem with TikTok, the problem I've seen as well on my end, is that as you push your projects through TikTok, you get great impressions at times. You get great viewership but at no times. conversion. Exactly. You don't get conversions or you can't see where people are coming from like you don't have that ROI is there a way to maneuver past that for you or how do you approach that yeah that's uh, what I was saying that it's important to like branch out to mm. pretty much all the platforms you think are good for your game yeah, yeah because yeah. of course I think TikTok is good for like general visibility mm -hmm. and it's good for like general brand awareness I would say mm -hmm. but the conversion, as you said, is, is uh, terrible. Sometimes conversion also happens if you like hit the nerve. Like Twitter is a way better platform for conversions. I mean, and I think that's right now, it's the biggest challenge, especially given the, the oversaturation. If you look at the mm. release of Atlas Fallen, we are a double A game, mm. which means that we don't have a hundred million of budget. We have between 10 to 20 million mm -hmm. for our game which is a lot by German standards, mm -hmm. but compared to the big players, it's rookie numbers, right? If you then try to find a release date, so quickly, release dates, how do release dates happen? You finish the game in production timeline, and then you try to see more or less where's the good point to um, drop the project. Mm -hmm. Some studios have the luxury of sitting on their project for another year and polishing it just to hit a good timing. As a AA developer, you don't have that. It needs to go out now that we can start working on fixing stuff that might be broken on release and then move on to the next project. Mm -hmm. So first up, we were scheduled to release six days after Tears of the Kingdom. Looking back at the Tears of the Kingdom release, it was a wise choice to move the game, take the extra time to do like German voiceover, yeah, yeah, yeah. do co-op polishing. Suddenly, once we announced August 10th was our release date. Baldur's Gate said, ah, well, our PC version is nice. We just released it a month early. And when our game came out, the visibility, like on the social media platforms by reviewers, people posting like tricks and tips articles, they were just all set on Baldur's Gate. There was, there was no visibility to be found. Three weeks after that, Starfield happened. So mm -hmm. it is really, really hard right now, even for games that have multi-million dollar budgets yeah. to find audiences because there are always bigger fishes that will just take up audience uh, 
attention entirely. 2023, amazing year for games. Not so much an amazing year if you're trying to release a mid-size game yourself. <laughs> I was going to say maybe winter, but then you think of uh, MW3 comes out in November, I think. So that kind of takes up that entire month. And then you go to December and December is kind of, I don't, it's December, I've always heard people say December to like February is kind of a dead time for developers. Yeah. And it's a yeah. bad period to release your game in. I think that um, there is a time at the end of January until the beginning of February where it's pretty much really hard to release a game, but not yeah. impossible. It, it's an interesting perspective, I think, because you need to have the right timing, but you also need to have the right genre, I think, nowadays, too. For you specifically, for your guys' titles, you've released games in years past, you released Atlas Fall this year. As audiences evolve, right, their tastes change, what they expect changes, the features that are going to be involved in these games, those change and evolve as well. So from a macro perspective, as you look at that audience over the last like five years, how has it changed and kind of how have you adjusted to that change? I think most uh, noticeably for me is that people, when the game starts, mm -hmm. they expect to be instantly included in the core gameplay loop. Mm -hmm. Like the whole idea of having slow story introduction that this happened for like the bigger games. If you go into Hogwarts Legacy, for example, you have seen yeah. the marketing trailers, you know that you're going to explore all of Hogwarts. You, you don't care if there's like an hour of dialogue at the beginning because you know mm. some you will just explore Hogwarts in an hour so mm, yeah. they they know what to expect and they have can endure that same goes for like something like Horizon because you know you will fight dinosaurs later on right mm. these big titles have the big uh, have these big expectations uh, that go along with them mm. and if you are making a uh, are making a game releasing a game that people are not so invested in yeah you have to get, get them into the core loop as fast as possible and for Atlas Fallen initially the game started in an area where you were part of a caravan and that caravan was attacked and then you started to meet the people yeah and we did some play tests and we noticed here well i think we need to we need to get people in quick more quickly right mm, yeah. so um we reworked the beginning of the game and there's now like a combat intro where you mm. get uh, a first impression of the mechanics that later like you fight with bigger weapons you have crazy air jumps and whatnot mm -hmm. uh, and then you go to the beginning but still um Judging by the metrics of 2023, that is not enough. People just want to get in even more quickly. And maybe that's also part of the genre, right? Because action games, yeah, gameplay is just more important than ever. Gameplay mm -hmm. is king. And um, there are people that will not care about your world, not care about the characters you invested time in. They want to skip every cutscene and you just need to give it to them. Yeah. That, that's the conditioning mm -hmm. that makes it really, really hard for developers to sit people down explain the world to them, then let yeah. them go into the gameplay mechanics one by one. They just want to be in there. They want to do crazy stuff mm -hmm. every like 30 seconds. And that's the reality right now, I think. I think with TikTok especially, you're right. I mean, people are scrolling, they're scrolling. You don't like it, on to the next, on to the next five TikToks yeah. later, all of a sudden, you're right, you get that dopamine hit and you're like, oh, that's it. This is the perfect one, right? And that's something that has. It's segued into to gaming, in my opinion. It's segued into all assets of, of the... Uh, of this industry where it's like if you don't like it yeah. right away within five seconds on to the next one that goes for youtube videos games whatever it may be and that's what kind of drew me into atlas fallen because it's a story driven game it has a lot of dialogue that has a very rich context to the game but for players i think nowadays there's definitely a place for that but it's something that is i don't want to say niche but it's something that is not as mainstream as it used to be right with that in mind, with the player bases in mind, was that something that you guys were nervous with when you were creating this game, like keeping players immersed, keeping them engaged? At least for me, there needs to be some sort of 
reason for what I'm doing. Surely I can go and punch a big monster yeah. and this might make sense if the core gameplay is nice. Mm -hmm. But even for um, if you take a look at something like Monster Hunter, which is not really comparable in how it plays with Atlas Fallen, but you go punch big monsters to get their loot to like upgrade your character, right? Mm -hmm. And I think if there's a reason to do that, for example, in Monster Hunter, it's all about like getting the nice armors and weapons and whatnot. Mm -hmm. If there's a reason, they will do it, but it needs to make some sense in terms of a storytelling perspective. Yeah. So for Atlas Fallen, we looked at it and said, okay, we did more or less linear games in the past. Search one was pretty much um, you have a one path in like typical stamina based action RPG. You have like branching paths inside the level, but there's mostly like more or less one route, right? Yeah. So for Search 2, we tried to load it up a bit, but it was still pretty linear. And for Atlas Fallen, we said the idea is we don't have an open world. We have bigger levels and inside these levels, people can freely do what they want. And that means they could also freely engage with the story whenever they choose to do it, right? I so see. of course, there are bottlenecks. There are bottlenecks. There are story bottlenecks area, before you yeah. like progress to the next area. Yeah. And these are parts where, of course, you have to engage with the story. But besides that, you are free to explore and do whatever you want. And for the people that don't want story because they want to fight big monsters, that kind of playground we try to design for mm -hmm. them to give them more or less more agency on when to do what to move away from the linear storytelling we did in the past. I think there's two sides to the coin, to your point. Like, I think with story-driven games, I've heard a lot of people over the last couple of years say that they're getting more popular, that there's a resurgence in them, which I believe is probably the case. I mean, I think people are looking for that to a degree. But then I hear people People using things like God of War as an example, like God of War story was amazing and the game was great. I don't take anything away from God of War. I think the gameplay was amazing. I think the story was good. I also think it was God of War. And I think God of War had an audience that was built into it before it even launched and people were very excited about that game. And that's why it was as popular as it was. And then the other side of the coin is Call of Duty when they took the story out of their game. Very few people play Call of Duty anymore for the story. They play it for the multiplayer and that's just the case. So taking that away, it doesn't take away from the game. It doesn't change the game. It just reinforces players who want to play multiplayer. To that point, I mean, you have some very interesting gameplay mechanics in this title. Like, the sand surfing mechanic jumped out to me. I thought it was really, really cool. So for you guys, when you made this game, I'd imagine there's a lot of technical difficulties when you're implementing something like that. So as you built this game, with that, with all the other mechanics you put into this thing, how did you build that out? And how did you kind of build that with players in mind? When it comes to like the exploration part, for example, this was this was insane because we have a double jump, mm -hmm. we have an air dish that you upgrade to like uh, three levels, yeah, and we have weapon moves that propel you through the air. So building levels for these these mechanics that you are scoping out and mm -hmm. implementing and prototyping. Meanwhile, level designers start building levels mm -hmm. suddenly. The gameplay mechanic changes, the air dash goes a bit farther. Yep. That means level designer need to adjust every jumping segments they <laughs> uh, they just built. This was this was like a crazy iterative design process. Mm -hmm. And especially shout outs to all people working in quality assurance at Deck 13, because we found so many ways to get like the extra bit of speed or like height to mm -hmm. just skip entire parts of the level. This was this was crazy, crazy QA work for sure. So now you have all these acquisitions going on, Microsoft most notably. How does that change the market of the gaming industry? I mean, how does that impact 10 years from now? What players are going to see? What is that change going to be? I think the big, like the super big wave of acquisitions two years ago, roughly. That's when I started to think, oh, this might be industry changing, especially looking at the idea that Microsoft is trying to disrupt the way games are being acquired 
acquired with the Game Pass. Mm. They have managed to create a system that people just pay for monthly mm. and they pay a fraction of the cost they would pay for a single player game yeah. when they acquired, right? Mm -hmm. So short term, also taking into account that the economic situation is not an easy one because games are a absolute good of luxury. So short term, it's a very hard industry and I um, think that uh, the studios closing we see right now is something I think is for the short term future, something we see more of mm. sadly and long term i am very interested to see what the subscription model does and if we speak about console wars even if at the moment people still think that playstation is winning every console generation and whatnot i think the, the smart choice the future oriented choice mm. is, uh, made by microsoft at the moment especially given that the game prices are rising right now it's not 60 dollars for a game anymore as i said the, for a game pass for a fraction of the price why wouldn't you just play the games there looking towards the small indies they uh, will have a very very hard time to get visibility yeah. like as i said earlier you can never start early enough with marketing this will be more important in the future that you need to get your voice out there you need to find your audience early you need to keep them invested for the process of development yeah and i think it's also more likely that indie games need to work with a publisher that has the expertise because they work with previous titles that are similar and have a good way to connect with the audience have you have you ever seen the indie game the movie i think it was called back in 2012 was the that? documentation about super meat boy no i haven't seen that one uh, it's a super interesting watch um, coming coming from Nell. Um, it was released, I think, in 2012, and it followed the release on Xbox Live or Xbox Arcade of Super Meat Boy and Fast, hmm. which was like a jumping puzzle platformer. Mm. These were like the, more or less the first indie games. They were, uh, yeah, not as early as Micro uh, Microsoft earlier, but it was the same time where stuff like stuff like Minecraft took off and people were just playing it. If you look at it now how these people were able to get a ton of visibility and especially like Super Meat Boy was super popular back then. It's not like that anymore. These mm. times are over. You really, really need to fight for visibility. Yeah. Stuff like Braid, for example, another indie game that happened around that time. This is a game if it was released today, no one would notice. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very interesting watch to go back and check out that movie and see how, how fast the industry developed. Yeah. How indie games were weird and different back then, but now are the norm and very hard to... Uh, get an audience for. To your point, PlayStation has tried to make their own version of Game Pass. I forget what it's called. It launched last year, but... Is it a, a re-competitor? Yeah, it's not. And the problem, and I talked about this was in the version of Steam with somebody recently, where I was asking if there's ever going to be a competitor for Steam that gets to that level, right? Because Epic tried, and they just never got close. And a lot of other websites or, you know, platforms have tried, and they've just never gotten close, because Steam is... They've got their audiences, they've got their libraries. They are in a position of luxury right now, because they're in the lead, and they're so far in the lead that I don't think anybody stands a chance to ever get close to them in the near future. And I think Xbox is very similar with Game Pass. They have had it set up. It is in its own position right now, where it has that game library it has an audience and it has a reputation which is very important nowadays and i don't think i just don't think anybody's going to touch them for the next five years if if not longer i just don't think anybody's even close right now and playstation is the best competitor but they just don't have it right now it's just 
is a very different animal. And I think to your point, when you're saying games are going up, prices are going up, making games is going up as well, which is another reason I think why those acquisitions are happening because all these different games, they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They need more and more developers and they just can't find them. Like they're just not out there anymore. So they acquire these studios, they bring them into the fold and they let them kind of work on their projects and try to enhance their projects because you're not just releasing a game anymore, right? you're releasing a game and then you're supporting it for five years or whatever so it's just there's so much going on and i do worry about indie developers in the next five years ten years i mean because i I don't know there's so many of them and they make shit money and they put out great titles and they have this fresh take on the industry that triple a can't afford to take because they can't make those risks i think as as a consumer you don't need to be worried Mm -hmm. you will still have plenty of amazing indie games to choose from it's a positive but, mindset um, i like that yeah as a consumer yeah but not not as an indie developer that's that's where it gets grim because yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you if you develop a game right now that would have been perceived by people as a 10 out of 10 mm-hmm. 10 years ago an indie game yeah this will now be something they call mid game it's a it's a vocabulary i used uh, earlier on in this episode yeah, ironically yeah. but it's actually it's actually a thing that ah uh, yeah it's just mid-game so my the point i'm trying to make is uh, the quality of a game like 10 years ago uh, the expectations people had for the quality of a game 10 years ago is different from now mm. right now if you make an excellent game it might be average compared to all the other excellent games arriving at the moment mm-hmm. so only the things that are re- like really top-notch polished things like sea of the star right now mm-hmm. they will get their audience and they will get their visibility yeah and the others have to fight for it and maybe the industry the industry needs to find ways where it's not all about like the first day um sales i mm-hmm. think that's what games as a service try to do right yeah that they said okay if i don't sell well on day one there's another content pack coming in three months maybe i sell then and mm. They try to do the break-even process, but uh, they're stretched out over years. Yeah, I think that doesn't work for single-player games, but I think something needs to change because it's not sustainable right now. It's pretty much more or less a coin flip uh, when you release a game. Yeah, the, the chances will get worse <laughs> in the future, yeah, in the near future. Your odds aren't going to get better. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that completely. Atlas Fallen, though, right? So it's a story-driven game, linear title. Looking into 2024 and beyond, how do you see this game and then everything after this game kind of evolving from there with the market, with the industry, with the player base, and with the feedback you've gotten from this game? Uh, when it comes to main takeaways um, for future games, mm-hmm. I think what really worked was the exploration, mm-hmm. the freedom in the movement, and the... Um, yeah, the overall verticality to it and yeah. i will die on that hill to keep my company pursuing the way of keeping verticality in the game because it's mighty important at least for me yeah uh, i think what we what we also nailed with atlas fallen and what will hopefully stick uh, is the deck 30 dna as i mm. as i coined it yeah. the, the idea that you have different body parts that you can target that you can cut off and then um, create something out of it i hope that sticks but uh, that's the, just my personal wish uh, i will try to also force <laughs> to throw down front of my team um, but uh, the whole approach to having um, less linearity, I think that's mm. just something that needs to happen for games in the future right now. That mm, people people have totally different priorities. And if you produce a game for the mass market, the mm. broader market, right, then you need to take into account that player types are very different. They are looking for a different experience. And if you try to catch as many of them, you need to give them as much freedom to put the priorities where their preferences. 
Yeah. You mentioned, you know, the mass market and players as a whole. When I think about the indie market, right, just kind of as a broader spectrum, I think a lot of indie developers, they start off with platformers, like side-scroll platformers. Like that's one of the main places they go to. From you looking in, right, and I know that every genre in gaming is packed with games being released daily, but is that a smart avenue to take? as a developer is that something you would think like from mass exposure people getting you know there's attention coming to your title people want to buy it is that a good place to start i understand it's a good place to start for developers because from a core mechanic standpoint from a development standpoint it's more streamlined and straightforward and it's easier to understand it's a good starting point i get that completely but Mm. from a marketing standpoint from the outside looking in is that the best place to start or should developers push the limits and try different genres other than that? So uh, one thing when you uh, ask a developer at the end of a project is, mm-hmm. oh, we did it like that. Mm-hmm. Based on your knowledge now, would you now still do it the same way? And the answer is most likely never yes. So that yeah. means there's a big learning process of the project. Even if they shipped like five games, there's still a big learning process. Mm-hmm. And the amount of stuff you learn during a project might get smaller, but it's still like there's still something new. So mm-hmm. just looking at all the experience you could gather before that, that helps you to just learn less because you already know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, looking at this specifically, my advice would be if you have an idea for an amazing game, something you've dreamed of since you were a child, don't put everything on that. Mm-hmm. Don't and don't even start with that would be my advice. Mm-hmm. If you if you want to get into like general game design, uh, game developing itself yeah start with something easy and i think that's why people start with uh, creating platformers i think that the angle of going into this industry to create your own game Mm -hmm. and having a successfully commercially successful release right away that is an insane bar to reach like yeah i'm seeing some um some movement uh in in the games industry i i'm not sure if there's a term for it yet but i think these would be i would call them micro games like Mm -hmm. these experiences that are learned in like a minute or two yeah and you could play them for two hours but you could play them also for five minutes i think this is um looking back at the dopamine argument i made earlier Mm -hmm. this is something that is very topical right now that these projects don't have a lot of risk in terms of how long you work on it and how well it is received if you make three games a year and only one of them gets a decent audience it's not as bad as if you work on one game for four years and no one plays it right yeah so i think there's like market wise there's a good uh, there's a good case to be made to make these mm-hmm. and from um, player consumption the usual player consumption there's a good uh, argument made to make these so mm-hmm. uh, we ourselves um made a, i would not say it's a micro game but we made a smaller game called lunistis which is a it's a platformer 3d platformer very reminiscent of uh, zega saturn titles yeah and it was actually made by one of of our guys from the publishing from the publishing label mm. in his free time he made he, he just makes games as well and he said yeah well i will check out the publishing process from the uh, as a publisher uh, as a developer i will work with my own publishing label to see if you guys are cool or not from the other side i see and I we see. published his game and um yeah check out lunistas if you like tight platformers it's mm. a small game and there is there is commercial room for that it will not be the thing that will pay all your bills for the rest of your life mm-hmm. but it can be a cool support uh, cash stream in your life 
when you're making games, it's really hard to rely on mm -hmm. the fact that it will sell millions of copies. But if you like to take risks, sure, go ahead. But when it comes to doing your first games, mm -hmm. make sure that you do something you're interested in that is in scope and is not something you get hung up for years. And if it does not work out, then it will devastate your life. I yeah. think if you can stay away from that, you are making healthy choices. So looking from your perspective, right, to wrap everything up, to look at the industry as a whole, you're a lar slightly larger developer. You've made a lot of games in your past you've been in the industry for a little bit now or for a while now so looking at indie developers that are just starting out right looking at the industry as a whole what's some advice you would give them what's some things you would tell them on how to approach the market how to approach their games how to approach development all of it kind of what's some advice you would give them right out the gate in the industry from the inside for four years now mm -hmm. Um, so based on these experiences, I've seen launches that were amazing, where mm -hmm. people were more or less millionaires within a week. But I've seen releases where people had an issue to pay for their general livelihood, right? So mm -hmm. my suggestion would be, apart from all the financial parts, mm -hmm. that you keep your mental health and check and are aware what um, this industry is able to do with your head, because it will fuck it different ways with your head and you need to be you need to be aware of that it will be when you're especially when you're a new developer games just have a way to be the center of your life and that's something you actively need to be aware of and kind of in my opinion push back on mm -hmm. because the passion you have and the commitment you have these are amazing tools and i think you need to wield them to make an amazing game mm -hmm. but these are also the tools that drag you into the swamp of being invested too much it still resonates with me when people send us emails and say hey i'm going through a tough time right now mm -hmm. and this game is helping me to just get through it to keep mm -hmm. distracted so yeah. as a developer you're creating something that helps people escape reality yeah and the thing you are creating has uh, has the tendency to drag you in and just try to be a bit like the people that are using your games to escape something mm -hmm. try to find something yourself that is also occupying you so the game does not become the center of your life because mm -hmm. as i said industry is developing towards the point flip and the outcome is not favored your way so it might crash horribly you need to be aware of that and especially protect your mind from it uh, it's something that developers definitely need to keep in mind is mental health keeping a healthy approach to their games understanding how demanding the market is and just keeping expectations in check so there, i get there's two there's two sides to that coin right where like you definitely need to prioritize yourself and make sure that you're okay but then you also need to think about there's going to be consequences ultimately for something like that and it's just mm -hmm. whether you're okay with living with that and whether you're okay with building your product your way right and understanding mm -hmm. the limitations that will come with that i like optimism very much but at the end of the day i'm pragmatic i'm yeah. realistic and i yeah. just want for, for people to be happy and not mm -hmm. set themselves up for failure to yep. keep your expectations and check be humbled Fair. don't be humbled by the release itself be humbled before <laughs> you approach the release right yeah